Welcome to Heating Up, a podcast about climate change, our dangerous future, and what you can do about it. I'm Corinne. I'm Derek. And we have a guest. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, this is uh, our uh, cousin Tony. Yeah, friend Tony of the pod. Tony is uh, going to be our guest on the podcast today. He's going to be with us the whole time. After we do the news and notes, we're going to talk to Tony about labor law, because Tony is a lawyer who specializes in... Well, why don't you just tell us about it? Well, it's great to be here in the studio, and uh, yes, uh, <laughs> I'm the employment law attorney. I mostly represent workers for unpaid wage claims, and uh, before that, I was a uh, labor economist, uh, so I have a background in uh, the labor workforce and feel like uh, there's some very relevant issues regarding labor and climate change. Yeah, that's uh, it's an interesting topic. It is not, however, the topic that's in the zeitgeist right now. I feel like, man, we do this thing every other week, and it just seems like the last couple of times we've tried to record this podcast, the, dif- the difference in the world between when we record then and when we record now, crazy. So since we've last recorded, there's been a little bit of, co- uh, of uh, activity going on in the United States. Just a bit. Just a bit. Uh, the, of course, the Minneapolis police uh, decided to murder George Floyd by stepping on his neck for nine minutes or whatever and that kicked off a series of uprisings everywhere there's what hundreds of protests around the united states mm-hmm. it's been every crazy state has had a protest yeah and then just in the recent days we're starting to see some results from some of those protests like the city of minneapolis i was just reading is seriously considering like disbanding the police force disbanding or defunding De- well defunding so it doesn't exist and then to yeah disbanding it, and then like replacing it mostly with you know like treatment and, you know, conflict resolution and various other options. And among other things, obviously, many police officers have gotten in trouble for responding to the protests with more violence. It's just been crazy. It's been a really... Wild ride here. Yeah, somebody burned the building at the White House. Uh, it's Donald <laughs> Trump went to the bunker. But just to check it out. Yeah, that was probably my favorite <laughs> of the stories. Is Donald Trump uh, was taken to the bunker by the Secret Service. And I mean, to his credit, I don't. I think there's a point where like the president doesn't really have a say in the matter. Yeah. Where the Secret Service is like, no, we're taking you to the bunker. But then you, you don't bunker. have to lie about it, man. Exactly. But then he comes out of the bunker the next day, and to try and prove that he's still a tough guy, he said, you know, I, I wasn't hiding in the bunker i was inspecting it because everyone believes that inspecting the white house bunker is definitely the job of the president definitely and just randomly happened to come up on his to-do list the exact moment the rioters were at the gate right well, see, the thing like, is he's so stupid he would believe that <laughs> he's like yeah sounds sounds legitimate i'm just doing my normal daily inspection of I- the I, I thought he had left his Bible in the bunker. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he came out of the bunker the next day and had that whole staged photo op where he gassed protesters to get him out of the church so that he could walk over there and hold the Bible in his hand and take a picture. But he was clear to say that it was a Bible and not his Bible because no one would believe that it's actually his. He uh, could just buy a Bible and say he has a Bible. Yeah, so Donald Trump has definitely done so much to help ease the tensions in society over the last three years that it's shocking to me that things have come to this um it's a great leader yeah good times with donald intelligent man yeah um so that's kind of dominated the news and really just kind of my like life i haven't really done much in the last week corinne you're under mandatory curfew you can't go out at night i can't go uh, out what uh, else which is- has really changed my life not yeah. at all uh even before quarantine, 
I go to bed at like nine, so it didn't really make a difference. But yeah, I can't really go outside, and in the mornings I kind of wonder if my car is going to be uh, drivable or not. But so far, nothing's happened. It, there's just a lot of trash outside. And the police haven't come and smashed the windows to your car yet. Um, not yet. So you never know, though. Every day's a new day. <laughs> Uh, Especially now. It does seem that way. You wake up in the morning, look on the Facebook feed or your Twitter feed, and it's just, what? Fresh hell has come yeah, to us today. I know. Uh, so, yeah. not I, I can't I can't really go outside past 8. Actually, I don't know. Are they lifting that? I don't even know. I don't Who go knows? outside past 8 anyways as a woman. <laughs> so, uh, my whole life is mandatory curfew anyways. Fair enough. Uh, Tony, what, what have you been doing this past week? Or the whole coronavirus thing. So, so we've been under stay-at-home lockdown orders for... The last like couple of months, Corinne and I have talked a little bit about our lives under lockdown. How about you? What have you What have you done? What's What's lockdown been like been for you? Uh, mostly lockdown has meant spending a lot of time uh, at home with my girlfriend watching Naked Afraid. That's, <laughs> oh, that's a great show. That's pretty much been the last couple of weeks. But I primarily work from home anyway, so it hasn't really impacted me that much. Um, I miss going out to concerts and restaurants, but in terms of my daily life, uh, it's about the same. Yeah. Uh, courts are a little slower. Everything's a little slower, but, uh, but yeah, mostly just, uh, uh, catching up on my Netflix queue and, and realizing there are just some things on that queue that I'm never, ever going to No matter to watch. how much time you have. And how yep. often do you spend naked and afraid wondering, how do these people go without sunscreen as much as I do? Oh, I can't believe no one brings it as their essential item. It would I, be my essential item. Yeah, there's no way we could make it a day no. Uh, no. out there. Uh, we would just burst into flames. Yes, uh, I believe so. All right, good times. So I guess there's no really any more catching up to do. Corinne, are you ready for the news? I am never ready for the news, Derek. <laughs> Tony, are you ready for the news? It just gets worse. I, I'm always ready for the news. <laughs> I, I, I love bad news. I feel like, uh, given the, the chaotic nature of just the world today and how much bad news we're all getting anyways, we're going to keep a little bit lighter on the news. We're not going to do not bad news. We're just going to do less bad news. So we've only so got a couple. the level of bad is equal. It's just not as many? Yeah. Okay. We're going to have just a few news stories this time, not a ton. Okay. So we're going to start with uh, a story about... Uh, not compl- not related to pretty much anything that's going on, but the first one is a classic heating up story that the planet is heating up. Just a reminder to everybody it's that with everything else up. that's going on, it is still heating up. Uh, there was a recent report that came out about just how quickly it's heating up and what the world might look like in the future. And I think that this is you know kind of an important point for this podcast is just how how little people are prepared for the coming future that we already know is pretty much locked in. So there's this interactive website that came up and I was playing with it and I looked at what it would be like in Phoenix, Arizona, according to the latest you know, reports on climate Why change. Why would you do that? So currently, for example, Phoenix, Arizona has temperatures above 105 degrees, an average of 16 days a year. According to like current burning of fossil fuel rates, if we don't slow it down, uh, which doesn't seem likely, in fact, we're accelerating, guys, uh, by the end of the century, that number could be closer to 100 days above 105, which means that if it was 105 on June 1st, the daily high would not drop below 105 for all of June, all of July, all of August, and into September. Isn't it pretty catastrophic? 
like catastrophic for people when the temperature never goes below a hundred. Sure. Like, then they have that problem in Arizona all the time. Like the right? nighttime will go a little bit lower. No, than that. like I heard that even at nighttime, it, it can stays be yeah up above or maybe it's ninety or something. Well, and it's if it's above your body to... temperature of ninety eight point six, yeah. it starts becoming a real issue. And then of those days, so again, not just one hundred and five. So like one hundred and five is hot as hell. And again, a hundred straight days of it would be brutal. But that's not the end of it, because out of those 100, and, 100 days over 105, uh, it would be off the charts hot, meaning over 125 degrees oh for the entire month of July. Do you seriously not actually cook in 125 you degrees? You can. That's, that's hot enough to kill a person outside. Okay. That's, the, you know, that, that's, that's what we're predicting will be the case in Phoenix, Arizona, where millions of Americans live and where they get all of their water from disappearing groundwater and the Colorado River, which is also being sucked dry by, you know, Colorado, Utah, Nevada, California, which will also be much, much hotter over the next couple of years. So like this is, you know, we've talked about this before, but this is just one of those examples of just how thoroughly no one is thinking this through because there are millions of people who need to get out of Phoenix, Arizona right now. Did they and yet not it's watch actually Arrested one of the biggest growing cities. There's, a bl- there's like a gag about uh, Arizona being like, oh my God, like yeah. they walk out of the airport. Anyway. Phoenix, Vegas. Yeah. Two of the fastest growing cities. Yeah. Why? Why? Why, guys? Because they're cheap and people are... Sure, but I mean, like, a lot of people might be like, sucks to be Phoenix, but uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul will be over 100 degrees 42 days a year by the end Mm. of the century. So that's Minnesota, 100 degrees for over a month. Minnesota does have hot summers. Yeah, uh, but... Despite its reputation. Yeah, not quite that hot. Yeah, it definitely will be getting hotter everywhere. So, like, we're just not prepared for that. And then, speaking of which, I hope everyone is prepared for it right now. Because we're ha- might having to deal with a summer without air conditioning, hot Don't weather blackouts. Even say it. So we've had them before. Uh, anyone who's lived in New York or California or Texas has probably already experienced the possibility or the potentiality of hot weather blackouts. Uh, but now experts are warning that millions of Americans who are working from home or who are unemployed and now stuck at home are cranking their air conditioners as the temperatures rise on these sunny days, which could strain the transmission line and transformers even further. So normally. One of the nice things about, you know, you go to work. everyone's at work, so we're using our work AC. But now everyone's stuck at home, so there's a lot more AC that's going to be used over the summer. People are saying that, and the energy producers like PG&E are saying that, you know, overall usage is plummeted, but it might spike during the hottest hours of the hottest months and blow transformers and cause blackouts. Hmm. Yeah. So overall usage is already up by an average of 7% in New York City and 15 to 20% in homes in California. So, yeah, uh, that's not a great story. That was our good story, wasn't that it? Was, uh, that was probably the easiest story. So PG&E is going to have some problems this year, as they do every year. So even Poor without the PG&E. fires, yeah, <laughs> can't really feel too bad for them. But that just means that they're just going to cut off your power. Or poor people's um, power. Yeah. And we did an episode a while back about how to deal with uh, life without AC, like how to deal with the heat. So it and might be time to that And my takeaway from out. that was don't. Yeah, don't. <laughs> but, I mean, it, 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 does, it is hard. And, yeah. you know. It's, it's tough, and we're all going to have to deal with that stuck at home. It's going to be a long, hot summer. And that's because the electricity grid just doesn't have enough Capacity, juice. yeah, to handle the kind of increased you know, usage at that moment. And they mm. on purpose turn off certain areas. Well, yeah, PG&E will be turning off areas in response to high winds or fire danger. So, again, as the summer comes in and it becomes more and more likely that fires happen. But places like New York will just experience a blackout because too many people are running their AC, and it just 
overloads the system. Great. So again, just, uh, you know, our classic crises. And then I found a report that I guess we should talk about about the coronavirus. So we're going to bring it back to the coronavirus. But this one also ties in to the protests. So I was at the George Floyd protest in Sacramento a few days ago. And it started out with a bunch of speakers. And one of them mentioned the fact that it was really particularly shitty that they had to be out on the street protesting, you know, police violence in the middle of a pandemic that also disproportionately targets Mm African-Americans. And, like, that was true. And I was like, that is true. And the CDC just released a report that confirms those numbers. Uh, It found that fully one in three hospitalized COVID-19 patients were black, but that African-Americans accounted for only 18% of the communities that were polled. So... They were uh, vastly overrepresented in the hospitalized patients. And it also found that the African-Americans made up 25% of the deaths from COVID-19, although they make up under 13% of the population. Do they have reasons to speculate why this is happening? Sure. It's, it's a lot of it has to do with the interconnected reality of our crises. So they know, for example, that p- air pollution significantly worsens the severity of COVID-19. So if you're in an area that's already polluted, COVID-19 will affect you more because you're probably already likely to have some sort of respiratory, you know, disease or stress because you live in a polluted area. We know that, you know, the redlining forces African-Americans and people of color to live in places that are more likely to be polluted. That's, you know, environmental racism 101. And so they're more likely to have to live in these areas that are polluted, which makes the virus more dangerous to them. Another factor that is overlooked, I guess, is that the African-Americans have been disproportionately burdened by the economic effects of the COVID-19 lockdowns. So we just talked a little bit earlier, like we're still working. Corinne and I, you're going into work. Tony, you still are working from home. You know, we've been lucky in this sense, but African-Americans on the whole have been slammed. A survey from the Data for Progress found that 45% of African-American workers either lost a job or had their hours cut in some way. That's like almost 50%. That's the one, like, that's an insane amount Mm -hmm. compared to only about 31% for white workers. So again, disproportionately affects African-Americans. And we know this is true because we know the industries that are most impacted by this, right? And we know that those service industries, the salons and restaurants and domestic workers, all are industries that are overrepresented by people of color. So uh, you have this constant kind of low-level violence perpetuated against black people uh, by the state. You have the lo- make lockdown making a bad economic situation even worse for people. Uh, you have the health crisis going on. You have all these factors that play into it. And then you have just, you know, this perfect storm for what we're seeing happen in this country right now. Did they mention that it was also more um, prominent in black men over black women? Do we know if there's a statistic on that? I don't have those numbers. Because I heard that more men were dying from it and there was a possibility of it having to do with the XX versus XY chromosomes and how the X chromosome is better at actually fixing like smaller mutations or something like that. And so men don't have two, two chances for it. It's like why men have like colorblindness or something weird. Corinne, did you just bring your first news story to the Heating Up podcast? <laughs> I did not. That's who knows. I don't even know where I read that. I pro- it's probably, I probably had a fever dream about it. I did not know that if that's true. So that's uh, good looking out there, Corinne. Way so to, it might be way also. Way to contribute to the news segment of uh, the. I, would we count that? Yeah, I appreciate I'm, I'm you counting, counting it. it. Yeah. Thank you. So, anyways, I, I mean, I feel like that that story about how African Americans are disproportionately affected by COVID nineteen just kind of gets to the heart of what this show is about. Like, it's part of like the things can always get worse here, yeah. right? So, there's a way this you know gets worse. Um, you know, I this don't know. This is the just, opposite of that. It gets better video. No, yeah, this is not. <laughs> it gets better. Yeah, that that sucks. I don't know what to say about that, but 
COVID-19 is racist. All right. And the last story we have is also about the protests. I wanted to take a minute, I guess, to talk about tear gas because it's in the news a lot now because the protesters are being tear gassed all over this country. They've used it here in Sacramento. They used it basically everywhere. It's so ubiquitous amongst the, like, the way that police respond to a protest that we kind of take it for granted. And so I think people need to understand that it's probably not great when the police force is using chemical weapons on the citizens. Yeah. And I say a chemical weapon because that's how the Geneva Convention defines tear gas. And tear gas is actually banned in war. So the the material that the police are shooting at protesters all around the country is literally a war crime if it were to happen in a war. But there's a nice little loophole that police can, can use it, it on their own, own citizens. citizens. So technically, I guess, not a war crime. Technically. And we all like those technicalities. Unless we would consider this almost an uprising war, civil war situation, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I mean, tear gas works as well by targeting the... So there's three different types of tear gas, I guess, that they commonly use. There's CS gas, CN gas, uh, which stand for... Uh, chlorobenzaline, I don't know, big long words that I don't know, but CS and CN are your traditional tear gas, and then there's OC, which is like a pepper spray, but it's a weapons-grade pepper spray, so it's a lot more like your traditional mace, but you can also aerolize it. Um, So they're technically not gases, they're aerosolized solids, so they're a solid material, they're like a powder that then gets basically exploded into the air. And then it gets stuck in your nose, basically. Mm. Um, So the tear gas works by irritating the mucous membranes in your eye, nose, mouth, and lungs. And it causes crying, sneezing, coughing, difficulty breathing, uh, pain in the eyes, obviously, and temporary blindness, right? And so, again, it feels like we should point out that in response to these massive protests about excessive police force, police are around the country using chemical weapons to attack the respiratory system of people in the middle of a pandemic that also attacks people's respiratory. respiratory systems. So like the things that pass on COVID-19 are coughing on people, sneezing on people, you know, getting liquid, you know, bodily fluids on them. And that's exactly what tear gas forces you to do. So, I mean, it's just Does an N95 mask protect you from this at all? Because it can still get into your eyes, right? Protect you from uh, tear, tear gas. gas? No, I'm, I mean, it won't get into your mouth so well, but it'll cover, like, it'll basically block the filters on it. You need a true gas mask for this yeah. point, like a true respiratory. Even if it gets on your skin, I would imagine. Yeah, it can irritate your skin. I just think it's crazy that it's become so normalized that we almost don't even blink when we see, oh, the police are gassing protesters. And you can imagine what the headlines might look like if it was in, like, another country, right? Or a country right. that the U.S. doesn't like right now. You know, racial minority protest, unjust government. Regime responds with chemical warfare on its citizens, right? We don't call it chemical warfare. We call it pepper spray or tear gas. And when you hear it, I guess I think to me a lot of people... Oh, it's just tears. It's not so bad. People's impression is that it's just like, oh, my eyes are just like I cut an onion and I can't... My eyes are crying. But you don't think about the fact that it's actually quite extreme. Yeah. And you're like, well, they're not shooting them. You don't die from it. So I guess that's better, right? Yeah, they are shooting them too. Well, that's true, but... It shows how much we've militarized our police force. These oh, don't sure. look like cops out there. They look like an army. Yeah, and they act like it. They, I mean, they act like their job is to, it's them versus the protesters. So, uh, and I mean, 
there is uh, a lot of information out there if you want to find it about how to counteract tear gas since, you know, thousands of people have had their first experiences with it recently. You know, a lot of people say pour milk in it. For most of the tear gas, that doesn't actually work much better That'd than be water. That'd be more classic pepper spray as opposed to a military-grade chemical yeah. warfare. It does work so well, on, or it does work better on the OC gas, or, okay. but the, the classic kind of tear gases, milk is not much better than regular water. Um, but there's a ton of resources out there for those. And some people will say don't use milk because especially if the milk is like old or warm, it could have bacteria growing it and you sure. don't want that in your eyes. So generally speaking, you're safer using water to flush it. But like flushing it out is really like the only way you can really Oof. do anything just with it. Just suffer, basically. Yeah, you just have to kind of suffer through it. It's it's terrible. It's, it's like it's banned by the Geneva Convention. Something like that. Yeah. So, I don't know, that was like my last story. I just have been reading all of these headlines, and I think that it's kind of crazy that we just skip right past that. Oh, well, that's how they do. They just, <laughs> the police just are going to use their tear gas. And I mean, it really is that way. Like, it's so common, so known that their first result, re, you know, response is, well, gas them, that like protesters are ready for it. They have yeah. bottles of water ready to. They have medics out there who are trained in how to. You well, know, when wash. we aren't popping, and the police aren't popping them. Yeah, when the police aren't actively destroying the medical tent or things like that, uh, which has happened in multiple protests around the country as well, because, uh, you know, they're heroes. <laughs> heroes work here. Yep. So yeah, uh, if you want more information about how to uh, what tear gas is or how to uh, counteract it, there are tons of med- street medic uh, trainings uh, that are available nowadays, especially with the ongoing protests. People are making that stuff out there, so. Uh, take a look at that but yeah that was kind of my last story not really even really a story just kind of something that's been happening in the news that i thought you know we all saw the video of the kid who got uh, tear gassed and they're pouring milk over oh yeah it was like a nine-year-old kid it was just like straight i actually can't get the image out of my brain yeah I mean, there, it, was, it was very much like the, the t- you, in Davis, that uh, the, right. the cop that like just went down the line spraying people uh, yeah. with the pepper spray. Like, well, they were sitting down on a quad. <laughs> they were sitting so peacefully. They were kind of asking for it. <laughs> oh, man. But I mean, like, they, they just go right to it. It just is insane, I think. But. Side note, I worked at a pizza restaurant in Davis, California, maybe two years. No, a little longer. A few years after that incident. And apparently people would were constantly fake ordering ham pizzas to be delivered to that police officer's house. Nice. So much so that the ha- everyone knew the address and uh, learned it quick to know that it was a scam. <laughs> so, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the news, I guess. Real short news today. Thank you. Because the whole uh-huh. life is news right now. Yeah. So. I think we're getting enough news, everybody. So the next segment, I guess, is we're just going to talk to Tony about uh, labor law. Talking to Tony. we got to come up with a better iteration here. About uh, labor law and uh, climate change and how, you know, things are heating up and how this might be affected in the future. And since we all have to work, I guess we could maybe start with the coronavirus, as that's the latest one, Tony, you were mentioning. Or we can start wherever you want to start. Why don't we, yeah, just go from there. Well, coronavirus makes for a nice segue, sure. So, like, we know that, you know, you know, the latest labor report came out and it was what, like 45 million Americans out of work. And it's probably more than that. You know, you were just saying uh, right before we kind of got started that a lot of those jobs are not coming back, like even when we make a recovery. So like, why don't we talk a little bit about how coronavirus is impacting the workforce and what that means for most people? Right. Well, so the coronavirus is really accelerating all these labor trends that we've seen for years and years. Um, it's, it's created, uh, the opportunity for firms to sort of, uh, hit a reset button and, uh, not unlike, uh, 
uh, disaster capitalism where a government can get away with changing things radically during the, the days after a crisis, all of a sudden businesses are really able to restructure their workforce. Uh, so I've, I've seen various estimates on what percentage of jobs aren't coming back, ranging from about 30 to 50 percent. Uh, but the, there's a number of reasons why the jobs just aren't coming back. I mean, first of all, you just, you're going to have this big shift in demand for consumer goods. Uh, consumers just aren't going to go out uh, shopping for clothes anymore. Uh, Restaurants just, can have to have only a certain lim- limit of people within there. So every I remember tables representing a literal dollar number of uh, value in the restaurant. It's like, well, add if you can fit seven more tables in here, you can increase your profits for the year by thus and you know this amount. So if they're obviously cutting them down, they're going to have to cut. They're going to cut staff first thing. Right, and restaurants barely get by as is. Oh, the margins are so uh, slim. There's going to be 100,000 restaurant closures at least. Uh, and so, yeah, it's uh, what uh, uh, economists might call a reallocation uh, shock, uh, where, yeah, some industries will benefit, some jobs will increase. Uh, certainly there will be more warehouse workers and more food delivery and maybe some home improvement increases. But really what's going to happen is that employers now realize that, hey, we don't need this many people to operate. And we, after a couple months of not collecting any revenue, we can't afford to bring them all back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so many jobs are either going, the uh, temporary layoffs are going to become permanent or those jobs, once we now see so many white collar workers can work from home, they're not coming back to the office. It's it's so much cheaper to not have to rent out the floor space and the uh, computers and all the infrastructure that goes into running a business that the people that are working from home right now, I, I think uh, they should, they sh- if, if they get can hold to on it. to a job, yeah, they should get used to it. Yeah, no, that's true. But And you mentioned one of the jobs that might increase are, you know, the delivery drivers. And I'm sure there's probably been an uptick in like DoorDash drivers. That is not a good job. But those are terrible jobs. Those are these modern kind of work below the algorithm jobs where, you know, a computer is telling you what to do and it really de- decides your fate. Uh, you know, you don't get paid. You know, these there's are contract no employees. There's no right. uh, labor protections, really. There's no... Uh, benefits. There's no anything for those jobs. They're terrible they jobs for anyone. They treat them like they're both an employee and not an employee. They're, they're taking the worst of both sides. Yeah. In so. California, we now have AB5. So that at least uh, provides some relief to gig economy workers that can now argue that they really are employees and not contractors. Uh, but there sure are a ton of businesses that are on that gray area uh, where they're going to be able to get away with uh, their gig economy apps and paying uh, minimum wage, if that, as there's so many people just struggling to find any work right now. Yeah. For and sure. people are going to take whatever work there is, even if it's not good enough. Yeah. And you had mentioned, I think, briefly, automation is going to be, you know, ramped up. Like, we've already been seeing over the last, you know, few decades, the increase in jobs being lost to machines. Uh, and this this crisis is just going to accelerate that our, that trend. You know, do you have anything you want to talk about? Oh, well, I, you get me started on automation. <laughs> I, I won't show that, shut up. I'm, I'm like uh, Andrew Yang giving a stump speech. <laughs> uh, no, so, yeah, with automation, it's such an interesting issue because... 
we've already seen how it's decimated blue collar jobs, right? Uh, so much blame for why all the Rust Belt factory jobs went away gets blamed on offshoring, sending the jo jobs to lower wage countries overseas. But really, so much of it is we've just automated all those jobs and a huge factory can still be up and running with a skeleton crew of a few people supervising the machines. Uh, so you need far fewer workers to run these kind of operations. And that's what's happened to blue collar jobs. That's already happened. Those jobs have been sure. replaced. Uh, now this coming wave is going to be all the white collar jobs getting replaced uh, using AI technology. Uh, that so many jobs that rely essentially on analytical processing, things like uh, payroll, data processing, business analysts, uh, even reporters uh, to write a, a wire story on Reuters. You don't need an actual reporter to set a computer. You can essentially create a template formula that can write news articles for you. And so, I, I mean, that's that's the coming wave. Yeah, and these are people who largely, you know, have college degrees. These are jobs that most people would have considered skilled work. You know, that divide is its own issue, but these are jobs that people would have thought were safe and they thought, or at least they were safe in their lifetime. Like a lot of us thought, yeah, the computers can build a car, but they can't do, you know, my HR job. And then they're going to find out real quick and it's coming way faster than I think people realize that within the next 20 years, we're going to be losing thousands and thousands of these, you know, higher paying, skilled jobs of people, you know, that people were just not prepared for the fact that they, they're gone and they won't be coming back. You won't, won't be able to go from one HR job to another because everyone is going to be automating. Right, exactly. And so uh, we've already seen it where there are trucks now on the road that are autonomous. And, and so there's certainly, that's the obvious change. But yeah, no one I think is really paying attention to that any computer-based job where you're essentially doing a rote analytical procedure there's not really a reason that software and the use of an artificial intelligence can't learn to do that job better. Uh, I've had it in my own line of work. Uh, and as both an economist and an attorney, uh, it's really... Well, attorney is an interesting one because that's one that you really wouldn't think. How, do, how does that work there? Sure. Well, uh, there, for example, there's that company LegalZoom okay. where they essentially hire attorneys as customer service agents. And then, and I, I don't mean to disparage <laughs> LegalZoom too much. Yeah, you know, I think they actually do do a good service in that provides cheap lawyer work uh, for people that need it. But you don't need to go into an office and hire a four hundred dollar an hour attorney to write a will for you or or to create a new uh, C corp. You can pretty much just put into a form what you need and that kind of information can be automatically generated into the proper paperwork for your state. Sort of like TurboTax. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So the same way that, yeah, uh, CPAs and accountants mm -hmm. uh, are feeling the burden. Yeah, that's coming for, for everyone. Um, yeah, that's crazy. I, again, it's, it's, most people who got a law degree in the last 10 years probably assumed that there was no, like, this is a job that's safe. You're always going to be suing somebody. Everybody needs a lawyer, right? But yeah, I mean, it, yeah, if it can happen to them, it can happen to anybody. It's a really interesting uh, kind of aspect of, that's just accelerating. And these crises, like you said, 
Uh, it is very much like the disaster capitalism idea that you know when there's a disaster, when there's a shock to the system, the you know the employers can take advantage of it to restructure and move along, move this process along much quicker than it might have happened, and with less resistance. So right. I mean, if you were to try and automate a factory full of union workers who you know had good jobs and had you know su- you know support, they could strike, they could get public sympathy, they could you know in some ways kind of fight back against the process, but now everyone can't go out in public you know there you know it's it's it would be so much easier to implement these sort of processes without uh input from the workers themselves right uh ro- robots don't unionize That's true. yeah we also don't uh, have any unions anymore practically yeah. right right but yeah even the the kind of factory jobs where uh unions are struggling but maybe they still exist yeah there's just so many benefits to the employer uh for automation and you know it's going to decimate our workforce and it's probably a bad idea in the long run because you're not going to have a middle class uh but yeah Do we have a robots... middle class right now i think the middle class are the unemployed who receive unemployment benefits uh i would <laughs> I, I actually think i am one of the people who uh plays into the if i was on unemployment i'd be making more money than i am currently yeah maybe yeah. but yeah the middle class is the protester class now go out there and protest all the time do it it's it's working. Like, sorry, not to go on a tangent, but these protests are working, right? We're seeing radical shifts in you know states and in governments that are responding to the protests. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, I mean, who would have thought? Like we said, that the Minneapolis is actually considering alternatives to a police force, and states are firing you know bad cops and work looking at use of force orders and talking about trying to get rid of uh, what's it uh, the the immunity clause that cops use to get away with killing people. Uh, I mean, there's been some actual response more so than there has been in maybe a decade, uh, and it's in it's been in direct response to the to the 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 protests, both Ferguson and this latest overwhelming you know response. So like these things are having an effect, but that's off tangent. That's not what we're talking about right now. <laughs> <laughs> riots work. Yeah, they do. Uh, riots work. I, I don't well, know are we saying say. riots? Or are we saying protests? Both. Yes. <laughs> riots seem to get the most attention because there's something to film and to put on TV twenty four seven. It seems to me as tragic as these riots are it's horrible to see these small businesses get destroyed if there had just been a couple of uh, large marches in minneapolis uh, we would have forgot about this issue a week ago sure i mean violence does seem to work i don't mean to you know kind of encourage violence on the part of protesters because obviously nonviolent peaceful protests can work especially with large enough numbers and you kind of need a little bit of both you do need a stick to the carrot Right. And I think that a lot of on the left are kind of social movements have kind of forgotten about that. There's never been an or else to our demands. So we oftentimes say, you know, we don't want racist police. But then we don't say, well, if you don't get rid of the racist police, we will be ungovernable. You know, you won't be we're going to burn down a police station unless you do it, which is now that now that there's that serious sort of, you know, calculated, you know, response, you see governments coming to the table you see people saying oh maybe we do need to actually do something about this and not just shine on the movement uh which is you know where we've been with you know in talking about environmentalism here for the last 60 years environmentalists have peacefully protested till the cows come home and everything keeps getting worse right there's never been an or else for the environmental movement and it shows yeah i guess it just worries me a little bit to be promoting uh violent <sighs> violent protesting is the way to go because hasn't 
historically actually peaceful protesting have reason like and when they've used violence it's been very tactical as opposed to generalized sure. I, i'm not promoting like looting as the you know which is shitty and as i the also strategy, don't i should also saying, say i don't think that most of the people who are destroying property or looting are actually part of the movement of sure. trying to i think that's probably just opportunists but mostly. i do think that if you look at so for example we love to talk about the civil rights movement you know, the, the, this is the white people's, you know, they, we always bring up Martin Luther King in moments like this. But people forget that Martin Luther King was only considered the legitimate option because there were much more radical people out there. There were hundreds and hundreds of race riots in the 60s when he was assassinated, by the way, which, by the way, he was completely peaceful and was killed. Uh, you know, there were six days of riots before the state passed the Civil Rights Act, right? So, like, the city was, the country was ungovernable at That's the time. True. And there were, you know, hundreds and hundreds of riots and much more radical organizations. The Black Panthers were active. You had Malcolm X and you had tons of people out there committing acts that were much more extreme than, Mal than Martin Luther King and his more peaceful protests. And so he was seen as the compromised middle ground that you could, you, that you could come up with a solution to. You know, and, you know, Malcolm X's, you know, ballot or the bullet was the carrot or the stick idea, right? It was like, okay, we can do this peacefully or we can do it the hard way. And Pro so I don't mean to, you know, really kind of promote that as, you know, the only solution. But I do feel like it has it. We can see clear evidence just in this past week of how how quickly the, the conversation has changed, how quickly these people are coming to the table to deal with this issue when there is this threat of a riot, when there is this threat of ungovernability. I guess you could say. When people are saying, you know what, if you're not going to hold up your end of the social contract, why should we? Well, we've gotten off subject. We have gotten <laughs> off topic. But. I think I can segue us back. Okay. okay. Let's hear so, that. So I, I, one big aspect of all of this uh, social strife in the last week is there is a, a element of class warfare at place uh, that's only going to become worse because of these climate change and other disaster-induced problems. Uh, Right now with uh, COVID-19, so much of the pain and the burden uh, has been felt by the bottom half of the economic scale. White collar workers went home to their computers to work, whereas the blue collar workers, construction workers, mechanics, uh, repairmen of all kinds, uh, they're the ones that are looking back at this and saying, hey, you just took away my job for three months, and now there, there's... There seems to be uh, a just growing unrest, even amongst my own client, clients, where they really feel that there is this elite educated overclass that's saying, you know, we have to protect the environment at all costs. We have to protect public health at all costs. And so as we start making more and more uh, uh, changes to, to mitigate the effects of climate change, I think there's only going to be more and more times where workers are going to say, your efforts to relieve this problem are creating new problems for me. Yeah, we have definitely seen that happen. And whether that's true or not, it's a, it's a compelling argument when their livelihood depends on environmental destruction. So we see it with like the boom in the economy at the, the oil sands or the tar sands. So you had tons of, you know, construction workers and, you know, mining people were very kind of uh, you know, like you said, blue collar workers go up there and it was one of the few economies during the depression that was still growing. So you had hundreds and thousands of men moving to, you know, South Dakota to work on this project that they knew was destructive to the planet. They knew that in the long term, but they still had was to feed their family them. today, but yeah, they still had to feed their family today. And so they were very opposed to restrictions on that sort of work because it was 
one of the few jobs out there for them. And yeah, you see this here. Like these people have lost their jobs. And yeah, you, they say like when we see it in logging traditionally here on the West Coast, there's if you if you really want to start a bar fight, go to any bar in the Pacific Northwest and talk about the you know the owls. Talk about uh, <laughs> you know the 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 owls are protecting the trees. We and, have a know. very long history of logging, especially on the West Coast. Uh, it's not good for loggers long term or even short term, so especially way back when the people were just dying from it left and right. Sure. Uh, so it's uh, but it's this idea where they pit you know like Tony had mentioned class warfare where they pit you know economic you know viability like basically livelihood versus saving the planet, which is a really right. false choice. When you get down to it, we should be able to have both, but it's not framed that way, and we're not given that choice. We're given you work or you starve. You cut down the trees or you, know, you kick rocks. And so like people are forced to choose between having food on the table or destroying the place where they work or they live and you know knowing perfectly well long term that what that's going to do, but having no choice against it. Exactly. Right, yeah. Uh, it's, it, there shouldn't really be a trade-off between dirty industrial jobs and EPA regulations. There, there's room for environmentalists and uh, unionists to, to uh, uh, meet in the middle and say, okay, if you're a displaced worker, we can train you and give you new skills so you can find a uh, a new job and probably a better job than being a logger or stuck in a coal mine or, or all these other jobs that uh, uh, Trump was uh, bringing back. <laughs> well, you're yeah. talking about bringing back jobs that are like skills that not necessarily require a college degree, which I think at least today, all you ever hear is, well, you have to go to college. You can't just learn a skill. You can't be taught something and do it for your life. Like you have to go to school for four years first. So that would be like a kind of a big overhaul and change the way that people are taught. If you're in high school and you say you don't want to go to college, people look at you like you're insane. Well, it's not even about don't want. For, I mean, think about the costs of well, education. Can't. I mean, this is, again, I graduated in 2006, Derek, uh, high school. Uh, every, I didn't go to college. A lot of other people who did, uh, they still ended up in major debt and struggled for a really, really long time. So my answer was, why would I want to do that? I know I can work here and actually have a job and feed myself today. And that also creates that sort of permanent overclass, Tony was mentioning as Absolutely. well, that people see. I mean, the myth of America has always been the ability to better your circumstances right to to move up the the social ladder in that regards or the at least the class ladder and we're seeing just really over the last 10 15 years this lack of belief in it i don't think any i mean i think a lot of people who would believed in it maybe two decades ago see that they have no chance to move up that their kids are going to be worse off than them and like when that's the case they lose a lot of incentive to buy into the system when they say you know what I'm the the game was rigged before I was born. I have no chance in changing it. I can't go to college to get these jobs. They're the, the only jobs that I need. So I'm going to be stuck in this lower level job. Whereas this guy is going to make a billion dollars because his dad was a billionaire, and that's just how it is. Like people see that 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 that's the case, and it has been the case for a while. But there was a time in this country where we did have much more social mobility, um, and we just don't now. And I think that that has a lot to do with labor law. And I think that's going to add to the sort of tensions that we're seeing in society. Um, you know, bringing it back around to the current sort of, you know, popular uprisings. We will see more of them. I mean, we saw it in the, the Haymarket uh, events. And we saw, you know, labor agitation back in the day when we, society was so stratified and so hard for, you know, people to actually move. You know, you, it's easy enough to predict that being a huge factor 
in coming, you know, kind of heating up moments. Right. Uh, the game is rigged and it's not going to get any better. It is kind of interesting that so much of those labor uprisings were 1919 and 1920. Yeah. Which uh, have some similar things going on, don't we? Right, right. Absolutely. And I guess it's propaganda by the deed time now. Uh, but yeah, as far as these the game being rigged, though, it's only going to get worse with the effects of climate change and other natural disasters. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is schools where they don't have proper ACs. Uh, your ability to take a test is so dependent on being in a comfortable work environment. Uh, so the, the, it's already... There's so many studies that talk about this where uh, kids that just they, they, they don't have the opportunity to be a part of that meritocracy because they're taking their uh, tests in a classroom that's uh, 90 degrees and uh, they're just not going to do <laughs> not, as well on that yeah. test. Right, right. They're just uh, behind the eight ball from the start. Yeah. No, I mean. It, yeah, it really is this, like what we constantly talk about, the interconnectedness of all of these crises. And yeah, labor is a big part of that because we all have to work um, one way or another. I mean, we haven't gotten Andrew Yang's universal basic income, but it is interesting as well, talking about kind of accelerating these things, how at the start of, like bef during the presidential debates, you know, all years ago, back when we still had presidential debates, you know, Yang was kind of mocked. Uh, probably even on this podcast for the idea of the universal basic income, which, I mean, I get, but, you know, at the time people were like, that's an insane idea. And then shortly... Wait a minute, did we think that was an insane idea? We didn't idea? necessarily, but I lots of people did. I think he was kind of idea. laughed out, you know, some people were like, mm, this is insane, giving people money for nothing, why would we do this? And then immediately after the lockdowns, you had like Mitt Romney basically arguing for a UBI on uh you know twitter or whatever so like the way in which these crises can just change the political spectrum is you know it's it opens up an opportunity as well as you know there is obviously the traditional way in which this gets used by those in power uh to exploit us further but the opportunity also exists to better our circumstances we're seeing that with the protests now and that there's a chance for that with labor as well i mean there was a possibility that we would get better universal basic income ideas uh, or move that argument forward. Well, it would be nice if we get universal health care through this too, but we can can't even hang on to our Obamacare. But yeah, I mean, but the, these are the sort of crises that force those issues. And if you had, you know, what, I mean, there's a chance there with these, you know, with the ongoing crisis. So, guys, is Donald Trump going to lose because of this? He may win because of this. He may win because of this. He may win by def like honestly. I, I already I'm thought so he was pessimistic. Win, but I always thought I always thought he was going to win. I have a feeling he could use this easily to cancel the election. Because I more and more I find that the idea that Donald Trump will attempt a third term Absolutely to be more possible. and more possible. At first, when I thought about this, I'm like, Derek, you're going into conspiracy town. You stop, turn it back. Like he's not actually going to do that, even though he said he would. He like he's he's over the last couple of years, he keeps throwing out these weird sort of like he said his his followers would want him to, but he's not going to try. Just... Uh, not that he could, but. He said that, and then he said other things, but now it's like he doesn't want the, he said, you know, he doesn't want mail-in ballots, right? And if there's still civil unrest by November, if there's still, you know, riots in the streets of 100 American cities, you could, you could see 
the president saying, in this sort of crisis, we can't hold an election. We can't, you know, it's not like it doesn't happen in other countries, right? Certainly. We see that happen all over the place. Presidents use crises to essentially stay in power, right? And, and it said, would be a first for America, but we're not special. It's happened in other democracies. It's happened in other countries. And, you know, the institutions of democracy in this country have just been eroded over the time, over the last 30, 40 years, to the point where it's possible. I'm not saying it's probable. I'm not even saying that I would put money on that idea. But I see it as more and more viable as time goes on. And maybe that's crazy, but y'all would have said that race riots in June uh, this year were crazy a month ago. So Maybe not a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, it, this, it, to, uh, January 1st, 2020, would we think that we'd all be under, you know, curfews while riots are on the streets of 100 cities? Well, there's a uh, and While there's the middle of this giant pandemic? No, nobody thought that six months ago. So... November is a long way away. Okay, Tony, I want to hear why you think this is going to make Donald Trump the president. Well, yes, certainly because he can decide to hold the elections whenever he sees fit. So if uh, the economy is still tanking. Uh, But it seems like, uh, you know, we've become two countries where Mm -hmm. despite this crisis, despite complete incompetence during those early months, he won't drop below 40%. And if his base is uh, is angry and these working class people that are now out of, that have been out of work for a few months and might not have a job to come back to, uh, even though he was the one that was in charge, it feels like, it feels like it's the uh, Democrats and the liberals that care about public health and want everyone to wear masks. Yeah, and, Trump famously does not wear a mask. Economy. So it, to the extent that if things keep crumbling, it might actually be a backlash, not against him, but against uh, the Democrats for the economy. Yeah, that's, I think that's entirely reasonable as well. I mean, I could also see the other way where he gets trounced because there was a poll I was just reading today that you know 54% of Americans approved the burning down of that Minneapolis police station. Right. And neither Trump nor Joe Biden are polling at that high of a rate of approval. So, like, there may be a case where, like, this but is... But do polls mean anything, Derek? Polls might not mean anything. <laughs> we have definitely talked about that. But I definitely see people are being radicalized by the recent events um, and radicalized to the left uh, by recent events. So, yes, there is the possibility that, you know, people are out of work and they will see this as the president doing his best against, uh, uh, you know, a corrupt Democratic Party that, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't have their interest in heart. But we're also seeing plenty of people moving even further to the left that are like, screw Joe Biden, we want real change. Okay, but uh, if but guys, when it comes right down to it, okay, when your <laughs> choice is Joe Biden and Donald Trump, okay, let's not do this again. <laughs> let's remember where we are today and how horrible it would have been if we'd had Hillary Clinton as president. Just take a second and think about that. <laughs> but uh, I think what's... I like about at least this is it's so there's so much chaos happening like there's too much going on. I don't I don't know what's going to happen. I was so certain Donald Trump would win and I'm still pretty sure he'll win. But with this so many bizarre things happening at the same time, I'm like who can predict it? It might it might just be crazy enough to work sort of a deal. You know what I mean? Like sure. there, maybe something will flip and it'll change because I thought before there was no end in sight. Yeah. I mean there was a news story that I purposefully left off. I don't know if you guys saw that. Uh, it was really hard to find, but there were like 10 really minor earthquakes in Yellowstone the last week. And so, like, Yellowstone, if you don't know, sits on top of a super volcano. Basically, it also ye- opened up to public. Yeah, it opened back up to the public. But 
it wouldn't really matter if the Yellowstone supervolcano blows, which is like a geologic inevitability. Like it's one of those things that like on the scale of, you know, shifting tectonic plates, it will eventually, you know, blow up. When it does that, like everything in the Midwest from, you know, St. Louis to Idaho will just be gone, like covered in 20 feet of ash. Like it's going to just be the, but you know, it will only happen, you know, once in a billion years, whatever, but it's not nothing. 2020 is that billion <laughs> exactly. years. So people are, you know, jokingly memeing that, the, you know, what's next, you know, Yellowstone supervolcano, and there were some <laughs> earthquakes in Yellowstone. But there are, I mean, it is on a volcano. There's going to be gonna action. There's going to be action. But I purposely left it off not to go down that road. So who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. But. Sorry, off topic again. Yeah. Uh, but Nobody came here for one point A to point B, did they? <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, I could go back to talking about robots. We could, yeah. <laughs> well, do we now think robot police are better, guys? <laughs> Remember how we hated yeah, them back then? I do hate then? robot police. They do seem less likely to hold uh, racial bias, though. Maybe, uh, unless we programmed them yeah, to have a racial bias. I would not bias. be shocked. So um, I say it's a 50-50 chance. Yeah. And with AI, they learn on their own. So That's maybe true. they'll they'll develop the same instincts as uh, actually uh, poorly t- uh, trained police officers. Great. That's fun to think about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, RoboCop was a good movie. Oh, man. Like, again, our unofficial motto, it can get worse. Uh, it can get worse. Racist AI. That's what we're waiting for. <laughs> All right. I'm going to have a terrible segue here, but Tony, bringing it back to uh, labor and environmental disasters or possibly COVID, what were some other stuff that you were kind of thinking of that we missed going on our tangents? Sure. Well, certainly there's such a nexus between labor issues and climate change. Uh, that as the planet keeps heating up, there's there's going to be the things that we can predict and consequences, these um, multipliers and feedback loops that we can't even really imagine. As far as the obvious ones that we can imagine is you're going to have a realignment of jobs. So jobs that are, say, reliant on particular ecosystems, uh, more than a billion people worldwide are work in agriculture. Mm-hmm. Those jobs, some of those regions are not going to be productive anymore. And they start dealing with uh, climate refugees. And uh, you have other jobs that just depend on environmental stability. Uh, and if uh, uh, pollution or fires or storms or because it just becomes too damn hot, those jobs are also going to be no longer feasible. Uh, so many jobs in America rely on water as an input. Uh, so uh, fracking might be a whole hell of a lot uh, more difficult. <laughs> Dang, that'd be <laughs> a shame. Climate yeah. change. Uh, yeah, you have jobs where people are working without air conditioners or either out in a field or even in a factory without proper AC. Um, there's just no shortage of the jobs that are going to be eliminated or become significantly more difficult. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, you know, immigration. That's a huge one. We've already talked about on this podcast multiple times how there's going to be, you know, a billion climate refugees by the end of the century. And those people will be, for the most part, illegal immigrants into various places. So right now, all the labor violations that we're 
illegal immigrants are exploited, you know, in their, you know, work and in, you know, their job, their labor is stolen, their, you know, they work in terrible conditions, like you said, in fields, they're not given access to water or restrooms or all these things currently. And there's only a couple of million in the United States. I think there's what, like 11 million, is that the estimated illegal immigrants? I don't know, something like that. But regardless, whatever that number is, it's going to be much, much larger very, very soon. And that's going to have a huge impact on the labor force and, you know, what employers are capable of doing and, you know, who they hire. Um, Because oftentimes they'll, you know, shady employers, which is most of them, will hire, you know, an illegal immigrant because they can get away with these things. And that person has way less, you know, recompense. They can't nearly go to the police because they'll just be sent to ICE. Right. Um, You know, it's, you know, it's an interesting factor that's going to matter in labor relations moving forward. Child labor certainly an issue. Uh, we don't have kids aren't able anymore. to yeah. work in fields. They're they're going to have to find more dangerous uh, ways to bring in some income. Yeah. Um, so there will be there will be some jobs like first responders and construction workers and other growth industries, uh, civil engineers, you know, uh, lawyers. Lawyers we always seem to wherever there's catastrophe, there's a job for lawyers. And certainly some green tech jobs. There are some jobs that will benefit, but overall uh, is going to be a very different world in a few decades. Maybe not that long. Maybe yeah. maybe, <laughs> maybe by sooner. the end of this decade. Yeah, maybe by the end of this month. I don't know the way things have been going. Thank you, Tony, uh, for coming by. It was very interesting. A lot of different just labor law and labor relations just connect so well with climate change and just kind of our dangerous future and how these things all intertwine that, you know, we could sit here and talk for even an, another hour or two without touching on everything that we could talk about. So we'll have to have you back on the podcast with, uh, some other time. I'd um, love to be back. This but, is my favorite podcast. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. We didn't yeah. even pay him to say it. So. <laughs> we may have given him a hamburger. Yeah. We might've fed him before this. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for joining yeah. us this week. Uh, yeah. If you enjoyed this podcast, like subscribe, uh, share, do all those things. share it, let your friends know. We're still trying to pass the pod, so tell your friends about us. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Oh,